0: if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it! Invalidate it. Remember that's what you told me! It's time,
1: Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 91 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Meglia, and today I am joined by Josh Parm. Hello, hello. So, how's everything going today, Josh? Catch up on
0: anything this week? Uh, Well, I did get a chance to see Deadpool 2, which I thought was okay. Um, There's good moments in it, but overall, I wasn't quite so taken with it. I think I preferred the first one a little bit more, but overall, it had some decent moments in it, uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm still going back
1: and forth on whether or not I liked this one or the sequel better. I think I liked them exactly the same, but for different reasons, because I feel like a lot of the excitement um, new fresh take on the superhero genre that was present in the first one is now kind of gone with this one and instead what i think they did that was pretty smart was they subverted our expectations with the story and that, that helped to keep things exciting
0: yeah i would agree although it does still have some of the cliches of superhero movies much like the first one did too but it did enough of a good job to try to subvert some of those expectations
1: yeah. Have you heard any word on its box office? I haven't uh, been keeping track at all.
0: Uh, I think I heard it was around like 125, I think. I'm not oh. 100%, but I think it, I think that's where the estimates were of where it opened.
1: That's a, a little low, I think. I was expecting it to do somewhere around 150, 170 even. So I'm actually a little surprised by that. Um, if I remember correctly, the
0: first Deadpool, I think had a stronger opening weekend i think it did but not by that much plus there was less competition at that point with the first one
1: mm-hmm. yeah so um that's that's a good point yeah opening uh what in february versus now in may summer release so yeah no it, that's a good point there for sure um yeah so deadpool one opened up at 132 million this is looking like it's heading for 125 million so Definitely below expectations, I would say. But then again, you're right. Crowded summer movie season. We have Solo opening this week. I'm seeing it on Tuesday. Quite a lot of other people have seen it so far. And from what I'm gathering, um, the reviews are all over the place for this one to the point where it looks like it's trending to be the worst reviewed Star Wars movie since the prequels.
0: Yeah, I still imagine it'll do pretty well though. You know, it's still a Star Wars movie. It's got familiar characters, at least in terms of Han Solo in it. I think it should still do pretty well.
1: Oh yeah, no, I think it's gonna do well regardless. Um, I just I you know, I'm just starting to wonder if we're getting to that tipping point now with the Star Wars movies where I mean, a lot of people talk about superhero fatigue, but are we gonna start seeing that now with Star Wars? I mean We kind of already, I think, started to get that feeling a bit where we had that buffer of Rogue One in between Force Awakens and Last Jedi. You know, having a Star Wars movie every year can be quite exhausting.
0: Yeah, it can. And what will be interesting with Solo is that that time frame is now cut down even shorter because they've been uh, been releasing in, you know, kind of Christmas time. But now this one's in the summer for Memorial Day. So we don't have a whole year between movies like we have in the past.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, um, you know, speaking of which, um, you know, just moving over from movies of the summer really quickly, let's move over to Oscar season. Uh, we are an awards podcast over here. We love talking about everything that's happening in the worlds of a world seat of the world of award season. Jesus can't talk this morning. Um, can let's talk about can. Can is over. All the films have screened. The awards have been handed out. We have a Palme d'Or winner. And that went to Shoplifters, uh, directed by HiroKazu Kore-Ida. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Probably not. The Grand Prize Award went to Spike Lee for Black Klansmen, which we will talk about a little later. We want to talk about the trailer for that, which dropped this week. Jury Prize went to Capernaum, uh, directed by Nadine Labaki. The special Palme d'Or went to Jean-Luc Godard for The Image Book. Best Actor went to Marcello Fonte for Dogman. Best Director to Payel Paolo Kowalski, once again, sorry if I'm butchering the name, for Cold War. Best Screenplay went in a tie, second year in a row, uh, for Alice Rorschach for Happy as Lazaro, and and Nader Saviar for Three Faces. Uh, Best Actress went to Samael Mova for My Little One, and the camera duar went to Girl. So... All the awards have been handed out. A lot of people were predicting that Happy as Lazaro was going to win the Palme d'Or. Shoplifters, I know, was definitely in contention along uh, some people I heard were clamoring for Burning, which if word, um, you, know, my, you know, my my you know ear went to my ears correctly, I think was probably one of the best reviewed of the festival overall. Um, what do you make of the winners and what do you ultimately make of uh, some of the word that was coming out of Cannes? I mean, because there are some films that, also screened that weren't mentioned here that we got some word about too like climax under the Silver Lake the house that Jack built overall though palm what was your reaction to this year's can
0: uh well you know can is always this really interesting festival because what happens there can sometimes have a really big impact on the awards race down the line or it can mean absolutely nothing and it sort of seems like the palm winner this year was really a compromise pick. Uh, from what I hear and what I understand, it sounds like that jury probably was really divided on a lot of different movies and that was the one that they all sort of at least could come together and say that they liked the most out of what they saw. Uh, I don't, I didn't really hear that much out of Shoplifters. It might have been just on my end, but it certainly sounds like it was a very respected film. Um, you know, Black Klansman, obviously, that had a huge amount of buzz coming out of that festival, so... I would imagine that the narrative for that one is going to continue. And, you know, I'll be interested to see what these films do later down the line. You know, how many of them end up being represented by their countries for the Oscar submission? That'll be interesting to see. Uh, But overall, I'm still incredibly excited and anticipating the release of all these movies
1: yeah you know so what i see so far on shoplifters is that it's about a uh, poor family living in tokyo and i've heard that it's a very simple story that evolves into something quite um quite beautiful and profound um at least that was some of the reactions i saw online from uh, twitter and yeah I, i am a little surprised that It didn't go to something that uh, had a bit more buzz about it, although um, I have heard that many people did enjoy shoplifters. Of course, (laughs) it's not like it was going to go to the house that Jack built. Welcome back, Lars von Trier. (laughs) No, Um, no, no. Although I did did have this interesting uh, question come across my brain that I put out there to everyone, and that is, do you think Lars von Trier – is intentionally making these provocative movies to actually get us to start a debate about violence in cinema, violence in humanity. Like, do you think this is all by design on his
0: part? I think that he intentionally makes movies to provoke and kind of troll people. I do think that whether or not there is a deeper message behind it, I I don't really buy sometimes. I think that he has always been a provocateur And I think that he uses that status as being a provocateur and this very well-respected filmmaker to introduce these issues into the world, whether or not it's truly warranted by the filmmaking and by the story that he presents is another thing. Uh, I've not seen The House of Jack Built, so I don't know firsthand what that intent is, but knowing his other movies, I kind of feel like it's probably just an indulgence on his part. And I think maybe we're at the point now where people are at their limit with how much they're willing to put up with him.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of a filmmaker that uh, people reached their limits on uh, Gaspar, no uh, famous for enter the void irreversible. All right. That was that was the name of that film, right? Irreversible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I I was getting confused with another movie title there for a split second. Um, He came back uh, with a new film called Climax, which got picked up by A24. It is said to be a mix uh, between Step Up and Salo, the 120 Days of Sodom. So Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) take that for what you will. Um, He's another director though, like Lars von Trier, who definitely knows how to get under people's skin. And definitely knows how to create something that is uh, both unsettling yet very memorable. And this looks like because it's been picked up by A24 could be his most commercial film yet, whatever that means, uh, for his niche uh, product that he creates. But regardless of which, um, what's your reaction to him as a filmmaker and also the fact that his film got picked up by a studio as hot right now as A24?
0: Well, A24 getting involved is a really, you know, high level of approval for me personally because I love that studio. You know, I think that he is somebody that is no doubt in t- incredibly talented and creative. You know, you just, whatever you want to say about like movies like Irreversible or Enter the Void, they're just really stunningly shot. You know, the cinematography in both of those movies is just absolutely incredible, and He's a talent that's really fascinating to watch, and seeing one of his movies get picked up by a somewhat major studio like A24, bringing it to a wider audience, I'd be very curious to see if he can break out in more than just the very limited art house kind of niche that he's in right now. Yeah,
1: no, I definitely hear you on that, and also too, another one of the high-profile releases that kind of landed with a bit of a thud was under the Silver Lake as David Gordon Green's no David Robert Mitchell, sorry, <laughs> uh, his new film, and it stars Andrew uh, Garfield, and uh, you know the reactions to this one I've been hearing was a lot like Inherent Vice, which for some people will be great for others like myself who just rewatched in her advice recently. Not so much. Um, I'm not a fan of that movie and you know, when I, and the trailers did give me that vibe too initially, but now hearing the reactions and hearing that it is very much like that, this two and a half hour, um, kind of neo-noir, uh, but like, you know, psychedelic kind of confusing kind of all over the place in terms of tone, Although I have heard that Andrew Garfield is pretty captivating in the lead role, um, it doesn't look like this is going to be uh, necessarily a big breakout hit.
0: No, it doesn't really sound like it has anything to do with awards. I mean, maybe they can get somewhat of a limited commercial play from it, but I don't. it doesn't sound like it's going to be that big of a hit. It, it might be an interesting kind of watch, but I don't really see that going too many places.
1: So after winning the Foreign Language Oscar for Ida, Powell Pawlikowski is back with Cold War, and that won the Best Director Prize over at Cannes. I mean, this has to be our frontrunner for foreign language film right now, correct?
0: Oh, oh ab- absolutely. You know, c- considering how well-reviewed that movie was coming out of Cannes and it getting this major prize, I can't really think of anything else right now. I mean, maybe depending on what happens with burning, um, maybe that could make a play too, but it certainly seems like Cold War is probably the front runner at this point.
1: Yeah, I would say coming out of the festival, I mean, I got to talk to some more people, get some more reactions, but it is my own perception right now that those two are the ones to watch out for, I would say, especially in that category. So Can is over. That's number one in the bag. We look towards the future right now. I mean, before we know it, uh, Venice, Telluride, uh, Berlin, they're all going to be right around the corner. You know, it's going to it's going to hit us pretty hot and heavy and fast, and it's going to be awesome. And man, it just feels like, you know, just feels like yesterday that we were talking about, you know, these movies coming into these festivals all over again. It's amazing how fast the year moves.
0: Oh oh yeah, you know it does really feel like well, especially with last year where the season just felt like it went on forever and now we're right back into it again. Well,
1: this is why we are here. this is why we love it. I want to turn our attention now uh, towards one film in particular. And that is Black Klansmen, which also got a trailer released this week. So I want to take a moment to talk about that and our reactions to the film overall. Let's take a look at the trailer for Spike Lee's latest joint,
0: Black Klansman. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here.
1: Hello. This is Ron Stalworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked, what can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans and Irish, Italians and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American.
0: God bless white America.
1: The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet. Face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined... Ron stalwart Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. In the air, When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. (laughs) Okay, become his friend, let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff do you guys do? Cross burnings, marches. This is fiction, it'll be a big year for us. You ask too many questions, are you undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight racism!
0: Are you down for the liberation of black people? Power to the people. All power to all the people. All power
1: to all the people! It's right, sister. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. You're Jewish. That hatred, doesn't that piss you off? You're taking this Jew lie detector test. Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? I'm telling you, the wars are coming. Light power! Black Knights of
0: the Ku Klux Klan. That's us. Stalworth Brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan I meeting, I wouldn't have taken this mother.
1: Okay, Parb. Spike Lee. Back in the running with something that is commercially accessible, uh, it looks like. And obviously, being now a can winner, it's put him in a very good prime position to make what many people are calling an overdue comeback. However, some of the reviews out of can are not overly enthusiastic. It's not, it doesn't have like the highest Metacritic rating necessarily. Um, What do you make of this trailer? What do you make of its role in the Oscar season?
0: Well, there certainly is a lot more comedy than I anticipated, but I think that will actually be kind of good for that movie. Um, you know, Spike Lee is obviously, people love him. He's a really well respected filmmaker, but it's been a while since he's had something that has been really great. You know, Inside Man was probably the last one that was, like, genuinely like, entertaining. Uh, though Chirac is flawed, but has a lot of interesting things in it. But I really feel like the moment is just really right for that movie right now. And knowing that it's sort of like a comeback for Spike Lee, I think that if they can play it just right, if they can maintain at least, you know, the generally positive uh, word of mouth of it right now and can get some decent box office with it in late summer... I think it's in a really good position to keep going forward in the awards race.
1: My one my one big thing with this is I think it is kind of set up at this point to be a contender in adapted screenplay or original screenplay, actually. Um, what is this? It is based on a book, adapted screenplay, right. So I do think it is set for that. Um, however, the August release date um, – gives me a bit of pause and so too does the comedy and the tone of the trailer. So I'm hoping that there is, um, more to the movie. And I have been told by some who saw it at Cannes that it does have a gut punch of an ending that does resonate with people once the movie is over and they are releasing it, uh, one year, um, from the Charlottesville riots. So, they're gonna try very, very hard to tie that into the current issues of today and hopefully that will give it um, a narrative and momentum to carry it through in award season. What do you think of um, John David Washington in the lead role here? Do, you know does it does he look like he's I, I mean like I, I guess the reason why I'm asking is because I was struck by how much he sounded like Denzel, <laughs> you know his father.
0: <laughs> oh oh yeah, I mean it's he certainly seems like he'll have a very interesting character to play. I do, you know, having not seen the film, I do worry a little bit that with kind of more famous people around him, he might get drowned out a little bit by the, his other castmates. But I'm hoping that he'll be really good. It, from the very brief glimpses we get in the trailer, it certainly looks like he's giving an interesting performance, and I am very, very excited to see more of that.
1: Yeah, Uh, I definitely can hear you on that as well. You know, I'm looking at the rest of the cast here and also looking at how they were in the trailer and nobody is screaming actor, you know, potential Oscar play for me in any of the four acting categories. You know, the more and more I think about it, you know, some people I know so many people are thinking Spike Lee for director. I know. I just can't. And now seeing the trailer, I I can't see it yet. Obviously, I'm going to wait until I see the movie, and it'll be here before we know it. I mean, August is right around the corner at this point. But hmm, I don't know. I I, I am feeling adapted screenplay now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like a category that it it could get, especially you know, screenplay at the Oscars tend to go for out-of-the-box, quirky kind of nominees too, if that's what this movie is kind of more so playing for. But at the same time, I also do think Spike could get in there as well. If this is perceived as a comeback for him, making a movie that feels very relevant to the time and is widely celebrated in a way that he hasn't gotten in a long time, that might be enough to just build the momentum of that movie and give it the narrative to carry it to the finish line. Even if it doesn't win... It might be enough passion to just get him nominated, which is something that he's never had before. He's never been nominated for Best Director.
1: such a crime. My God. Malcolm X,
0: Do the Right Thing. Jesus. Hoop Dreams, yes. He directed Hoop Dreams? Not Hoop Dreams. Uh, He got game. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, I got the basketball movies mixed up.
1: Oh, oh, good. I, I get movies mixed up all the time. How cool would it be if Sorry to Bother You got an original screenplay nom and Black Klansman got an adapted
0: screenplay nom? Oh, it'd be so awesome. Right? You watched that new Red Band trailer for Sorry to Bother You? I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I'm really, really looking forward to that movie. Oh, Definitely check it out. It's awesome.
1: Um, It's interesting because when I saw the film at Sundance, I didn't have the most enthusiastic reaction to it. I thought the third act was such a mess and I thought it was really, really all over the place, but there's something about that movie that has stayed with me since then. And Man, I'm going to have to give that one a rewatch. I can't wait to rewatch Sorry to Bother You when it comes out. I'm really, really excited to revisit it because I definitely think there is a lot to unpack there and it can't all be unpacked possibly in one sit-down. It's pretty freaking outrageous.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm so looking forward to that movie. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Romano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss... and you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, stop, this stop. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, God watch. damn it, shut up! I think up. that's oh, enough.
1: My God. I go by uh, let's jump back a bit uh, to Solo for a moment, a Star Wars story directed by Ron Howard. A uh, talking point for this episode is to talk about um, Ron Howard and some of his best directed films of his career. Uh, that is our poll for this week. It is. Uh, which is your favorite Ron Howard film. So this doesn't have to be necessarily what you think is objectively the best. It could also be subjective. Um, I have pretty much almost all of his films listed here. Um, I'll ask you though, Josh, what, what is your absolute favorite uh, Ron Howard film?
0: Well, I will say this, that there are many movies of his that I haven't seen. So I, I'm not completely familiar with his entire filmography, but from what I have seen... I kind of feel like it's got to be a, Apollo 13. I, I I feel like from an objective standpoint, that is the one that overall just is the most entertaining, it's the most well-made, and the most engaging. I, I just feel like that has to be, at least to me, clearly his best movie. Um, although I do have kind of a soft spot for Frost-Nixon. I think that's really well done, too. And you know what? Even the Grinch, I, I kind of even like that movie. I get fun out of going back and kind of revisiting nostalgic memories of that film.
1: Jim Carrey's performance in that is just absolutely insane. Oh, he <laughs> he insane. is
0: legit good in that movie. Hmm.
1: Um. Apollo thirteen. Man, it's almost cliche to say Apollo thirteen is his best, right?
0: Yeah, and it's just, it, it it's is. amazing
1: that he didn't get that director nomination after winning the DGA, nonetheless. I know. Who um I would say my favorite, like the one I think is probably the one that I would re watch in a heartbeat. I really have a soft spot for Rush. Yeah, I Rush really, is really do. Good. Yeah, Daniel Bruhl is excellent in that movie. The cinematography by Anthony Dodd Mantle is also pretty incredible. I mean, it's a shame that when they reteamed for In the Heart of the Sea, I remember thinking to myself, my God, like these guys just need to make their movies together all the time. Like, the visuals that Anthony Dodd Mantle has created for both of those two movies are just absolutely out of this world. Um yeah, you know what? I'll stick with Rush. I love Rush. i um, I also
0: really, 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 really enjoyed Ransom. You know, I've never seen Ransom. Really? Yeah, that one has just passed me by.
1: That's a that's a pretty well engaging '90s thriller. Yeah, if you're into uh, that that time and those kinds of films that were made, you know, it was like we talk about this a lot. We talk about how like the adult drama is something that is now regulated to, like, the indie scene and it's no longer, like, mainstream entertainment so much anymore. This film, Ransom, fits um, the mold of that time where it was okay to have a mainstream adult thriller and have it be commercially successful and, you know what I mean? It's just, it's it's an awesome movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, those, like, mid-range adult uh, studio drama thrillers, They're just sort of disappearing right now, unfortunately. But, yeah, the 90s, there's so many good ones like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's funny how, like, A Beautiful Mind is the movie that won him his two Oscars for picture and director. And I I don't know. Like, what's your thoughts on A Beautiful Mind? Like, do you think that that holds up as a Best Picture winner? Because I feel like it doesn't when I think about it. But when I go back and I actually sit down and watch it. I can see why it won. I don't think it should have won. I, I I think it was definitely a makeup award for the Apollo 13 snub. But what about you, though? Like, what do you make of A Beautiful Mind to this day?
0: Yeah, well, the thing about A Beautiful Mind is I think it is a good movie. And when I go back and rewatch it, I do find myself appreciating so many elements of it. But at the same time, you look at that film and you just think this is like typical Oscar bait. This is what usually wins and you kinda resent it a little bit because of that and knowing that it yeah it probably was also a bit of a makeup for Apollo 13, you kinda have a habit of just pushing it to the side and saying that it's not very good, even though it is, but it just fits the mold so much of what we usually rally against with the Oscars and the types of movies that they reward that it doesn't really to me, I don't really revisit that movie a, a lot. And if I think about the career of Ron Howard, it's sort of very typical of what he is very good at. But at the same time, it's not really the thing that I want to revisit when I think about him as a filmmaker.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Um, Russell Crowe's best? Yes or no? <sighs> he is really good in it. Um, it's incredible that he won. Sag bafta critics choice the golden globe and he did not win the oscar
0: <laughs> he is the only one who has won all of those and has lost the oscar incredible anything else in
1: uh ron howard's filmography that stands out to you you want to give a little shout out to
0: uh you know what i actually also like cinderella man and again it's yes another, yeah, cinderella man is another one that very classic traditional filmmaking but is really strong at what it needs to do, you know, and just in terms of making a classic period drama. Yeah, it might not be exemplary filmmaking, but it's really solid quality stuff all the way through. And it's, you know, really, really enjoyable.
1: This question comes from Stephen M. Keller on Twitter. Do you consider Ron Howard a top director working today? Should he have more Oscar wins nominations?
0: Hmm. Well, should he have more Oscars is sort of an interesting question because it's almost like, should he have one for A Beautiful Mind? Probably not. But should he have one for Apollo 13? Probably. So he should probably have the same amount of Oscars that he does right now. You know, he's a filmmaker that is very workmanlike. That's sort of his reputation. He comes in, he does the job that's necessary not too much flash and bang to it, and then just kind of presents it right there.
1: Yeah, in that vein, he's like Ridley Scott to me. He's a for-hire studio director. If the studio's got a script and they want a competent, successful director to tackle that material, they're probably going to give Ron Howard or Ridley Scott a call.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why he was a good pick to bring Solo to the finish line because you can rely on him to get that project done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I wouldn't consider him one of the top directors working today, but I will admit that he has made some pretty enjoyable, very entertaining movies.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Aaron.
0: And I'm Patrick.
1: And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelingfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right, now just moving over to the poll from last week. Which is your favorite non-MCU Marvel film? This poll was in relation to the release of Deadpool 2, which we were talking about earlier. We received a lot of votes for this one. We received 183 votes in total. It was pretty close. The final vote was within nine points. 61 versus 52. 52. And it is between Spider-Man 2 and Logan. Parm, which film do you think the readership voted as the best non-MCU Marvel film?
0: Man, well, those are the two that I figured it was going to be between. I, if I had to guess, I think I would say Spider-Man 2. And the winner was Logan. Well, there you go. Logan is still a good choice. Logan would have been my pick. Logan would have been my pick, too. I love Spider-Man 2.
1: Spider-Man 2 is probably the one film from the Sammy Raim- uh, Sam Raimi-Toby Maguire collaboration that still holds up the best. Easily.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Uh, in third place was Deadpool with 16 votes. And then in fourth place was X-Men Days of Future Past with 15 votes. And then right behind Votes uh, 2 in fifth place was the first X-Men film with
0: nine votes. Hmm. Now, that's that's interesting that X2 places behind the first X-Men movie in that poll.
1: Yeah, uh, by one one point. So, Hmm. that was in sixth place.
0: Because generally, I thought it was sort of agreed upon that X2 was the best of the X-Men movies. So, I, I guess that sentiment has changed with Days of Future Past.
1: I don't know. I mean, when Days of Future Past came out, for me, it was my favorite. I thought it overtook X2.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also just wasn't crazy about Days of Future Past. I thought it was a good movie, but I didn't really think it was a great film like a lot of people thought at the time.
1: Hmm. And and you still hold that belief today?
0: Yeah, well, I'm also weird because I actually kind of liked uh, Apocalypse, so I'm a weird one when it comes to the X-Men movies.
1: Yeah, you, you are – what? You liked Apocalypse? I'm not even going to go there.
0: I. Well, you know what? Apocalypse is very cartoony, and it, it felt like a Saturday morning cartoon to me. And I think after so many movies that kind of took themselves really seriously in the X-Men films, I was just in the mood for one that was very over the top and didn't make any sense and was just kind of fun on a very, very basic level. I think that's probably why I enjoyed it. You know, they're releasing
1: Dark Phoenix in February next year, and I can't help but feel like that's going to be the death nail.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, You know, I feel like the only thing that could possibly save them, and I talked about this on my Deadpool 2 review, is if they take the cast, uh, the current cast, not the Stuart McKellen cast, and they bring them into the Deadpool universe, and they do a crossover.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, their timelines are already so messed up that I don't think people care anymore. Just do something that will get people interested in these storylines and... You know, maybe doing something that is a little bit more self referential, that is a little bit more irreverent in its comedy and its storytelling, that might be the thing that it needs instead of making, you know, Dark Phoenix and New uh, new Mutants. I, I, that might be what they need and not what they're trying to do right now. Mm hmm.
1: Uh, So also, too, we have a couple of our polls that are currently up on site that people can vote on that are still active at the moment. We have our current poll for Last Best Picture, which is uh – a list of all Best Picture winners and nominees. We do 10 at a time, and people then pick which one they want us to review on the podcast as a Patreon exclusive. We are recording One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest this week, which will be released before the month is out. And currently right now, we have another poll for the following month of June up right now, and the list is Babel, Aaron Brockovich, Juno, Lawrence of Arabia, Mulan Rouge, My Left Foot, Nebraska, One Foot in Heaven, The Sound of Music, and Three Smart Girls. So that poll is currently uh, is currently still in effect, and we also have uh, the film that we should review in June. That's not a Best Picture nominee or winner, and these films are related to Hereditary, which won a previous poll that everyone voted on, and they are Duke, the, the Evil Dead, Night of the Living Dead, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Witch. Also, too, just related to all of this, while we're talking about Patreon podcast exclusives, we released our first episode of Next Best Adaptation, which is where we take a source material that is being adapted into a feature film later on this year, and we review that source material. In this case, we started off with um, Boy Erased, which is a novel that everyone here, uh, well, not everyone, but some of us read, and then we got on the podcast, and we talked about the book. And we talked about the potential um, you know, Oscar uh, situation for that adaptation, which is being directed by Joel Egerton. It's going to be starring Lucas Hedges, Joel Egerton, Russell Crowe, Nicole Kidman. So we urge people to check out that first episode. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of that. And if you want to hear the full episode, you can subscribe to our Patreon channel. Okay, Josh. So now at this point, we have talked uh, about the polls. We have talked about can. We've talked about one trailer for Black Klansmen. We have another trailer though that we want to talk about that released this week. This trailer is well. I don't even know if it's based on Freddie Mercury anymore or if it's based on the band Queen itself. I don't know if it's going to include the, uh, the AIDS crisis. I don't know if it's going to include anything about Freddie Mercury's homosexuality. I-, I don't know anymore. I don't even know who's directing this film anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I, just, I just know it's called Bohemian Queen. Rhapsody and it stars Rami Malek from Mr. Robot. And that, like, that's, that's all I need. It's it just all
0: sort of willed me. into existence
1: at some point. Yeah, Exactly. Let's take a look at the trailer and let's give our thoughts on it. So now what? This is when the operatic section comes in. Oh, The operatic section, yeah. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. The has a devil aside for me, for me, for me. It goes on forever six bloody minutes.
0: I pity your wife if you think six minutes is forever. All right, Josh, you first. What do you think of the trailer for Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, the trailer is basically, well, it's almost more like a teaser at this point. You know, it's just flaunting the music of Queen and getting that as the entry point to this movie. And, you know, it's hard for me to not know about the troubled history of this film, how it's been in development for so long, and there's been kind of tensions about what they want to discuss in this film, so I'm very skeptical on how effective this movie's going to be in terms of telling the quote-unquote true story of Freddie Mercury and the members of Queen. I'm hopeful. I mean, Freddie Mercury, uh, Freddie Mercury is an interesting guy, and Rami Malek looks the part in most of the scenes in the trailer, so... I'm hopeful that will be good. It looks kind of interesting, but I'm very, very skeptical of it at this point, especially with the trailer that basically only shows the music and very little else. That kind of seems like a bit of a red flag, but it might be just a teaser thing.
1: Yeah, it definitely could be just a marketing thing. Like, oh, hey, this is a movie about Queen. You guys like Queen? Here's some music by Queen. Don't you guys want to see this movie about Queen? I get it. Um, Visually, it looks really good. Looks shot very well, to the point where I was even like, "Man, if this is actually a well-reviewed film, maybe this could be a best cinematography contender."
0: Um, maybe it, it does kind of have that studio sheen to it, though. Um, mm. So, it, I mean, it could. It would be interesting to see what the rest of the field shakes up as, though.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, who knows if this is gonna go um, the route of something like. I don't know, what's like a big musical adaptation that everybody loves, Chicago, or if this is going to go the route of something like Greatest Showman, where this is just a pure commercial play um, that people want to have in the Oscar race, but it was never meant to be in the Oscar race, and it just sort of ends up there anyway, or it could just be a fat dud in the end. I don't know. You're right. This is more of like a teaser and didn't really give us enough about the story to know what the true intentions of this movie is. And yes, there's been so much that has been talked about it in the lead up to it that man, I just don't know what to believe anymore. You know, I don't know. Yeah. All I know. And I don't even know if that's Rami Malik singing. That sounds like the recording of Freddie Mercury himself. So we don't even know like how he sounds.
0: Yeah. That's the other thing is it, to me, it clearly just sounds like the original, Uh, Queen recordings that sounds like Freddie Mercury that doesn't sound like Rami Malek but that might be just for this trailer you know we don't really get to see too much of anybody's performance in this we get little glimpses of it but we don't know how much that's going to be impacted in the rest of the film I'm very curious to see how Rami Malek pulls this off Uh, I'm I hope he's good I like him as an actor but knowing that he was also like the third or fourth choice for this role I also kind of worry about that too. Did
1: you see that bit of a snippet from Beautiful Boy with Timmy Chalamet and Steve Carell?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did see that.
1: So we got we got a question here from uh, Magenta Lover underscore on Twitter. She or he, I'm not sure, asks us, "Hi, chances of Chalamet getting nominated again, and maybe even winning this time around?"
0: Um, I well, I think the chances of him getting nominated again are. Pretty high, you know. When you've already been nominated once before, it's kind of easy to come back. Um, And this is a project that's gotten a lot of attention. It's certainly a type of role that usually gets Oscar buzz around it. And he's got a co-star in Steve Carell that probably is going to get buzz too. Whether or not he wins, I don't know. Certainly, with a previous nomination, that kind of makes him kind of do, but he's also still very young. That might work against him. Supporting the actor tends to not really go to young people very often. So, But it, I think he is definitely in the conversation and probably will get a nomination for sure. I
1: feel like every year that Steve Carell keeps working, I can't help but feel like he keeps giving his career best performance each subsequent year.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing with Steve Carell, though, is that he also just feels like somebody who is going to win supporting actor one day, but he keeps wanting to be nominated for lead actor. <laughs> well,
1: there is a lot of question about whether or not him or Bay will go lead or supporting in
0: this. So... That's, that's true, but every other attempt that he's had, well, I guess he did go for supporting for Battle of the Sexes, but it, I don't know. I get this feeling like Carell really wants to be in the lead conversation. And I think if he had been in supporting... I don't know. I'm not saying that he would have had an Oscar by this point, but it seems like his chances are always better in that mm-hmm. category. I mean, I love him in Foxcatcher, but I feel like he got in by the skin of his teeth in Best Actor for that movie.
1: Oh, yeah. That was such a stacked year in Best Actor. I, no doubt about it. All right. Let's move over now. Uh, so, just finishing up with some of the fan requests here, we did get some requests for Oscar So Right, Josh a debate over whether or not the Oscars got it right or not. First one up, Andrew Purr on Twitter, Midnight in Paris winning best original screenplay. It was up against Bridesmaids, The Artist. Do you think the Oscars got it right?
0: Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Midnight in Paris fan, and I think, I do think, though, that of the nominees in that category, it probably was the one that was the most inventive, the most creative, Um, although I actually do kind of like the screenplay to the artist. Even as a silent film, I think it's also just as interesting and inventive. Uh, I think that's one of those cases where, of those nominees, it probably was the strongest. It wouldn't have been my personal winner that year, but I don't think any nominee in my personal ballot that year probably got nominated, so... In that case, yeah, they got it right based on who they picked to be nominated. To be
1: fair, it was a very weak year. You know, when you have the artist being nominated for Best
0: Original Screenplay... (laughs) I mean, I would even argue if you have the artist winning Best Picture. (laughs)
1: Um, To me, you know, looking at the quality of writing and what it gave the actors to perform, I don't know how I could go with anything else other than a separation.
0: Yeah, that's true. I actually i forgot that that was nominated so that probably should have been the winner
1: <laughs> yeah i you know i love bridesmaids and i think there was a point where i was during that year i'm pretty sure i was championing for that to win because i knew melissa mccarthy was a long shot but if bridesmaids could win screenplay that would have been so freaking awesome um but just looking at the nominees there for also march hey you know what Good for J.C. Chander for getting in for Margin Call, his you know debut film and getting an Oscar nomination for writing that film. That's a tight movie, and that was a I think a VOD film um, that just based on word of mouth you know managed to do pretty incredibly well, um, very very surprising overall. And J.C. Chander has gone on to do All Is Lost, A Most Violent Year, and pretty soon he'll be back with uh, Triple Frontier. Which is coming out, I believe, in twenty nineteen. So, I mean, he's yeah. a filmmaker that got his start here, and I mean, and you know, that's a that's a pretty good screenplay. It's just very interesting to me how Midnight in Paris and The Artist were the two films that were duking it out in this category, and it's like one of those two were going to win because I think um, the Artist won the BAFTA, if I yeah, recall correctly, it, it did. for a screenplay. So. You know, looking at it from that angle, it's kind of surprising to me that the two weakest of the category. um, But yeah, man, it should have gone to a separation.
0: Yeah, although at the same time, you know, Midnight in Paris, even as somebody who isn't that big into that film, I understand why people like it. And knowing that it was also up for best picture, had a lot of support, I can completely understand why it won at the same time.
1: Ah, God
0: damn it, Woody Allen.
1: Um, all right. Moving on now to another one from Oscar. So right, uh, this one, it comes from Ryan McQuaid, 77. He is putting forward for us to talk about Alan Arkin, 2006 supporting actor over Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls. Did they get it right?
0: Well, this one is much easier. Uh, no, they didn't. I do not really like Alan Arkin in Little Miss Sunshine. That is he's good in the movie, but to me that is a performance that like anybody over 60 can do. And I just did not find him to be great in the film. You know, he's funny, but not Oscar-winning work in my opinion. I I think Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls is a really great performance. I love him in that movie. It's a, you know, the movie itself isn't great it's very entertaining, but I do think Eddie Murphy is really, really good in that film. And I still believe to this day that he should have won. You know, Norbit aside, I still think Eddie Murphy should have won for Dream Girls.
1: See, of the nominated actors in that category, I'd like Eddie Murphy and Dream Girls, but I would have personally have voted for Jackie Earl Haley for Little Children.
0: And Jackie Earl Haley is really good too. It's a really great performance. I think, to me, one of the things about J.K. Haley, at least in that movie, is I always have issue with his storyline feeling very separate from what is going on with the Kate Winslet, Patrick Wilson stuff. It felt like two different movies to me. That,
1: that's a fair complaint. I, I can understand that. And then, I mean, listen, I, I think Mark Wahlberg is pretty entertaining in The Departed, don't get me wrong, but he was the wrong actor to be nominated from that film in that category.
0: Yeah, well, that movie also had a... Like, that campaign was just a mess of who they wanted to push and where they wanted to push them. You know, yeah. it, it's almost a miracle that anybody from that movie got nominated for an acting award because it was so disorganized.
1: Uh, just out of curiosity, if Leonardo DiCaprio had gotten the supporting actor nomination instead of Mark Wahlberg for it's part, do you think Leo would have won?
0: Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I still kind of feel like it probably would have been Arkin because, it, I mean, clearly – To me, Arkin winning was more of a career achievement. And if they liked A Little Miss Sunshine as much as they did and as much as the industry responded to that film, I feel like Arkin probably would have won even still.
1: Yeah, that would have pissed me off if Leo had gotten the nomination. and He would have lost. I would have been so mad.
0: (laughs) Well, and also Leo is like not really a supporting player in The Departed. He was only pushed that way because of... Blood Diamond, not to conflict with that campaign there. Yeah, That's a good point.
1: Hell, I wouldn't have even minded if Jack Nicholson had gotten the nomination and won again as much as I think that performance is so over the top and completely ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well you know, if he had won an Oscar for that one, then it would have been yet another decade that he would have won an Oscar for, because he had one for 70s, 80s, 90s, and he would have had one for the 2000s.
1: Yeah. Uh, sticking with supporting actor, last one here. This one's from Rich Hulsey, 1991. He asks, 1996, Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire defeated William H. Macy for Fargo, Armin Muel-Stahl for Shine, Edward Norton for Primal Fear, and James Woods for Ghosts of Mississippi. Did the Oscars get it right?
0: You know, I really like Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Obviously, William H. Macy... He's not supporting in Fargo, but he's really good in Fargo. And I think those are two performances that, to me, are just as Oscar-worthy. But, you know, I think Hugh McGonaghan Jr. is still really good in Jerry Maguire. I think that that is a performance that has stood the test of time, and I'm not mad that he won. I think I probably prefer... William H Macy a little bit, but at the same time, I can't really begrudge his Oscar win for that movie, and it's a good movie all around too. Oh, I love Jerry Maguire.
1: I I think Tom Cruise is pretty amazing in Jerry Maguire. On all honesty. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I just don't think Jer- Cuba Gooding Jr. did anything that was really remarkable to warrant the win. I I I, I, I like it's not bad or anything like that. I just. I don't see him doing something that, you know, I would expect Cuba Gooding Jr. to do otherwise.
0: Well, I think the other problem with with Cuba Gooding Jr. in that role is, you know, after he won, you kind of then want to expect, okay, you won an Oscar, now what are you going to do? And his career since that movie has not really lived up to the potential of an Oscar winner. And I think that has kind of tainted that win a little bit. The Although years. to be
1: fair, he is very good in *The People Versus O.J.*
0: He is, but you could probably argue that he's probably the weakest link of that ensemble too, which j- which just goes to show you how good that ensemble is. But he's not really at the forefront of people's minds when they talk about you know the the really best in show of who is on that show.
1: Yeah, I I mean, my vote would have gone to William H Macy for Fargo, category fraud be damned.
0: Yeah, that probably would be my personal preference too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think think he's ever topped his work in that film, in film at least. I mean, his work on Shameless is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, but in terms of movies, that's probably been the peak.
1: Yeah. Alrighty, that'll just about do it there for this week's rendition of Oscars So Right. Thank you very much, everyone, for sending in your questions and your suggestions. Let's cap it all off with some news from this week. Uh, we got word that Pope Francis, a man of his word documentary, uh, film and the Pope himself, his holiness <laughs> contributed, uh, to the songs that are in the film itself. So there is like a little bit of, uh, I mean, it's kind of a joke. It's not going to be actually like real or anything like that, but there is a world where the Pope could be an Oscar nominee.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be, I mean, there have been. Interesting people who've gotten Oscar nominations along the way. But Um, let's be
1: real, though. There would not be anything weirder in the history of Oscar than something like that.
0: That would be, that'd be a first for sure. That'd be an interesting one. And I mean, who knows? Maybe the people who are voting on the original song nominees, maybe they'll be thinking like, hey, if we get the Pope nominated, that'll be like such a cool (laughs) get for our show. You know, I don't know. Maybe they'll think like that.
1: They'll have to like tone down the entire ceremony if he's in attendance, and truly make it the most, not even PG rated, family like show imaginable, as to not offend the Pope himself. Although to be quite fair, he would. I don't think he would attend the ceremony. Probably um, not. Anyway, that's that's just that's just you know little funny little tidbit from this week. Um, other news: Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg are teaming up for Shirley. Which is a movie based on famed horror author Shirley Jackson. Uh, the film will be directed by Madeline's uh, Madeline director Josephine Decker, adapted by I Love Dick's Sarah Gubbins from Susan Scarf Merrill's book of the same name. The film is start to uh, the film is going to start shooting this summer. And the novel tells the story of a young couple that moves in with Jackson and her Bennington College professor husband, Stanley Hyman, who's going to be played by Stuhlbarg, in the hopes of starting a new life. Instead, they find themselves fodder for a psychodrama that inspires Jackson's next major novel. And then other news from this week. Meryl Streep is moving from The Post to the Panama Papers. And it is called The Laundromat. It is going to be directed by Steven Soderbergh and is also um, has Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas in talks to join the production. Uh, there are sources that say that Netflix is currently eyeing it, but after seeing uh, Soderbergh's uh, latest film, Unsane, this year, I mean, Logan Lucky last year, I mean, this is a guy that just doesn't stop. Uh, I mean, you know, he talks about going into retirement, you know, all the time it seems like, but
0: I well, love it. He, he supposedly did retire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, I mean, <laughs> supposedly I, I have like air quotes going on right now. I love his work. I've always loved his work and I don't want to see him stop working. I don't think anybody wants to see Soderbergh stop working. Cause even like a bad Soderbergh film is always an interesting film in itself. And if you tell me that Soderbergh is going to work with Meryl Streep, and potentially, you know, Gary Oldman. I mean, come on, who doesn't want to see that?
0: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, Soderbergh, I wasn't a big fan of Unsane, but like you said, even a bad movie from him is still very interesting to watch and you know, it's subject matter that is very interesting and you, you know, you throw Meryl Streep and Gary Oldman in the mix and it's like, man, that is a movie that I want to see. So, I'm I'm hopeful that it'll be interesting. It certainly has potential to be.
1: You know, he's got a film up for uh, 2019 called High Flying Bird uh, that is being directed by him. And it's um, starring Andre Holland, Zazie Beetz, who was just in Deadpool 2 and is probably, I think right now, the runaway star from that movie. Yep. And Kyle McLaughlin, from, you know, so the guy's just not stopping and he, he just keeps on going. I, I mean, I'm I'm happy as hell that he is continuing to work yeah yeah I am too. I mean, all of that coupled along with all the news that came out of can this week uh that pretty much you know does it for anything major, really. I mean, there were some other things along the way, but I mean, this was mostly a can heavy week for the most part. All right, Josh, before we go, you have anything else that you want to add to the show?
0: Um no, I would just say that you know with everything with can right now, I'm very interested to see what we get from that. It really is like the start of this award season that we're going to get into so i'm very happy to kind of be on that track right now and very very curious to see what we get in the future
1: yep i cannot wait to lose more brain cells as i try to rack my mind around what is going to happen
0: (laughs) it's always fun
1: it's going to be fun it's going to be a fun journey to go on thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the next best picture podcast. Josh Parham, where can they find you on the internet?
0: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at JR
1: Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It helps us greatly if you leave us a comment, give us a five-star review, let us know what you think of the show. It helps us out a tremendous amount. So too does subscribing to our Patreon page where for $1 at minimum a month, you get some exclusive podcast content that I was talking about earlier in the show. Once again, we would not be here without you. And your feedback, anything that you could write to us letting us know how we can improve, is always greatly appreciated. We thank you so much, as always, for listening, and we will see you all next time.